0: So, we begin 2020 with a series in the book of Titus. Uh, So, turn with me in the book of Titus or swipe on your phone to the book of Titus. And we're going to do a series in this book. Now, one of the things that, uh, now we have a media team in our church. And so, one of the things that happens is they ask me for a catchphrase, right, for the series so that they can use it for promos. And I'm never used to that, especially when it's a book series. I'm just like, study in the book of Titus. Uh, but they wanted a catchphrase and so I thought and thought and I couldn't come up with anything uh, much to their surprise. Right now they're going to find out. I did come up with one late last night as I was thinking over it. Uh, uh, but, uh, and, and I think it's, it's what uh, the reason why God put this book in my heart for the first series of this year. And if Titus had to be summarized in one phrase, it was it would be maturing the church or putting structures in place that mature the church. Because the book of Titus is written, it's one of the 13 letters written by Paul in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul wrote this and surprise, surprise, it's written to Titus. uh, Titus who was a co-worker with Paul, someone who Paul, in in just a little while you'll see, uh, Paul calls him a true son in the common faith. And so you have uh, the book written by Paul to Titus. And the point of, of this book is to tell Titus what Paul expects from him. One task he's given Titus. Many ministry many things of ministry they're done together, but right now it's about one particular thing. They had planted churches on the island of Crete. Scholars would say most likely in the third missionary journey of Paul. They had planted churches in the island of Crete and Paul tells Titus I've left you behind on Crete which means he was there helped in beginning this thing and then moved on and he tells Titus I've left you behind to do one thing. These churches that have started probably these little house churches because that's how the early church began probably little house churches all over the place. He says to bring order to these churches to bring structure to these churches. What does he mean by that and he will explain that through the letter one it begins by putting in place leadership correct leadership and then he goes on to talk about what that leadership will do and how the community should start to work and that's the letter of titus that's the context of titus and so as you go through the whole thing you'll find that paul is basically telling titus to mature the church nowhere does it call titus the pastor of the church in crete Although, obviously, he's been given leadership over there for a while. By the end of the letter, Paul would tell Titus in verse 12 of chapter 3, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. Which means, this is not a long-term assignment. This is not, you know, you're the pastor and, you know, amazing. We'll see you when we see you, kind of a deal. It's a, You've got a task. I'm giving you this task. And when I send others to come and relieve you, to come and take on... After you've done your bit, come and come and be with me again. Come and we'll go on more ministry journeys together. So it's for a specific task and he writes this letter to Titus. So that's the context of the book. That's the context of this whole series. How do you mature a church? What does Paul tell Titus to do to establish these churches that were started? Our passage for today, and I'm going to read it out for you in just a bit. Our passage for today is in Titus chapter 1 verses 1 down to verse 4. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Now it's a very worthy, lengthy beginning to his letter. And out of the 13 letters that Paul has written, there are only 4 that have a long beginning part. Usually it's just Paul to so and so or Paul and so and so to so and so. Grace and peace to you or grace and mercy to you. Something like that. But there are four letters where he has a long wordy introduction and in all of those he has a purpose in romans is one of them he writes to the roman church and his introduction is all his theology what he believes because he's never been to Rome. He hasn't seen the Roman church. So he writes the letter as, as a precursor to before going there. By the end of the letter he tells him, I'm longing to come and see you. And so he writes this letter, it goes before him and he explains in his introduction itself, he explains his theology in a snippet. And then the rest of the letter he kind of expands it into this long 16 chapter book. The next one is found in 1 Corinthians, where he writes to the church at Corinth. Over here, the long wordy introduction has nothing to do with his theology or, or what God has done for him. He says, Paul to the church at Corinth, and then he explains the character of the church of God. He explains what the church of God should be and who the church of God is. Why? Because as you know, if you would have studied 1 and 2 Corinthians, you know that the church at Corinth was a broken church. It was a church that was disunited. It was a church that, where there was sin that was prevalent, grotesque sin that was prevalent and even excused. And so Paul was writing to remind them, listen, you are the people of God. You are the church. You can't be that. Remember who you are. And so it is in his introduction itself, it's all about who the church of God should be. When he writes to the church at Galatia, that's the next one, the third one, where he has a long, wordy introduction. When he writes to the Galatian church, he, it's all about... Where you find salvation, how are you saved? It is through faith. And what what is this faith? It's what Jesus did for you. Why? Because the church at Galatia was moving towards a salvation by works doctrine. And so when he writes to them, it's all in his wordy introduction. His purpose is to say, listen, this is the faith you believe in. And so when he gives his little theology of salvation, he begins the, the, the verse after that. It says, you foolish Galatians, because you don't believe what I just told you. And all of those are written to churches and he's writing in a context and so that wordy introduction makes sense. But over here he's writing to Titus, someone who is a personal friend, someone who he would say my true son, someone who he's gone on ministry tips with, someone who's come along with him. If you read Galatians you'll see how Paul stands up and fights for Titus in front of the other elders of the church and, and there's a very close relationship with him and Titus and he writes to him and if you see he's Almost defending his ministry, explaining himself and his ministry to Titus. And you have to ask the question, why? Doesn't Titus know all this about Paul, servant, apostle? Why he's doing what he's doing and and the hope that Paul has? Titus knows, Titus has been with Paul. He knows all this. But the task before Titus is Herculean. And in many ways, by reminding Titus who Paul is, Paul is also reminding Titus who he is in the context of that. And that's what you're going to see as we unpack these four verses. So let's get into it. The first thing you see in this long wordy introduction is Paul's identity in ministry. What is Paul's identity when he comes to ministry? He says, Paul, a servant of God. And the word servant in the Greek is doulos, which could be slave as well. It carries that idea with it that my marching orders don't come from me. I didn't cook up this whole idea. I'm not the one who's deciding everything. God is the one. The servant obeys the master. The slave obeys the master. God tells me what to do and I do it. Remember this is on Paul's third missionary journey. Paul has already done a lot of stuff. Amazing miracles have happened because of Paul. Amazing churches have been planted through him. Uh, He's gone on mission trips already. He's he's seen so much of the then known world. He's gone out and preached. He's taken on people, uh, intellectual people and arguments. He's reached out to so many people he's made so many disciples around him this guy is a great guy a, one of those standout missionaries of, of all time and that Paul says but my marching orders are from God I am at the end of the day for all I do for all I accomplish I am but a slave of God I am a servant of God it keeps him humble it's a statement of humility it's a statement that says it's not me. At the end of the day, this is God's brilliant idea. This is God's wisdom. This is God's plan. I could not have concocted such an amazing plan of salvation. I would not have reached out to these people. I was trying to kill most of them at the time without Jesus in my life. This is nothing of my own. This is the wisdom of God, the beauty of God. And so Paul says, I'm a servant, a slave of God. But then in the same breath, he says, and an apostle of Christ, the Greek word apostolos means messenger. Someone who carries that message on behalf of God and goes out. Now there's many other things that you can talk about the messenger of God, but one thing for sure is that they have authority. And so if doulos, servant of God, is about humility, then apostle, messenger of God, is about authority. Imputed, imparted authority, not just because you speak well, because you look good, because you're able, you've got connections, you've got a financial bank, nothing of that sort. Because God has given authority to you. And so when he talks about his identity in ministry, two things for him. One, servant, a statement of humility. Two, apostle, a statement of authority. Paul's identity in his ministry. But the reason God gave him this identity is not so that he has a fancy calling card. Not a fancy visiting card. See, in India, there's two, every conversation, if you don't know somebody, it begins like this. What's your name? You say your name. And the next question, generally, is, what do you do? That's generally the next question. unless you're a, Even if you're a kid, actually. Which class are you in? What do you do is basically, what is your purpose? Over here, what are you about? Your name, what do you do? And it's not just, you know, Paul wasn't just uh, using his identity to, you know, get these aunties off his back who said, well, What are you doing, Beta? This wasn't a fancy, you know, servant of God and apostle. Of he was not doing that. He knows the reason why God gave him an identity, why this identity was given to him. He says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for, for, and he gives you two things again, for the sake Of the faith of God's elect and for their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. So let's look at those two things again. For the sake of the faith of God's elect, for the sake of the faith of God's church, of the people that will come to faith in God, for them, for their sake, this identity has been given to me. To grow them in their faith. And you know that that is Paul's heartbeat. In Colossians he writes to the church at Colossae. In Colossians 1, 28 and 29 where he says, I labor, I toil hard for this purpose to present everyone mature in Christ. That's his heart's cry. That's what he's all about. In Philippians chapter 1 he talks about, he says, I would rather die and be with God. You know to die to, to live his uh, To live is Christ, to die is gain. I I would much rather leave this body and be in heaven. That's a far greater thing. But for your sake, for the sake of your faith, for you to grow, it's more necessary for me to stay. Convinced of this, I know I'm going to continue on for a while. Because you've not yet reached some level of maturity that God wants you to reach. So his whole heart, his whole mission was to mature the church of God. To bring them to maturity. And he says that my identity given from God is for this sake. For the sake of the faith of God's people. And then he says the second thing. For the sake of their knowledge of the truth. Not truth. He could have just said for the sake of their knowledge of truth. But it's a specific. An article before that. For the sake of their knowledge of the truth. That brings about godliness. See, you know many truths in your life that don't bring about godliness. 2 plus 2 is 4. I don't feel more godly after that. There's many truths in your life that you know. You leave milk outside for 7 days. It goes bad. Didn't make you more righteous or holy. Just kept you away from food poisoning. But there is truth that brings godliness in your life. The truth that you are a sinner. No matter how many good things you've done in your life, the truth that at the end of the day, you are a sinner. The truth that outside of the mercy of God shown in Jesus Christ and his cross, there is no hope for you in eternity. The truth that God has loved so much that he gave his son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish But find eternal life. The truth that God's desire is not just to save you and then see you in heaven when you get there. But the truth that he wants to sanctify you and mold you and shape you in the image of his son throughout your time here on earth. The truth that God has not just saved you but has placed you in community. The truth that God has not just saved you but has called you on mission with him. There is truth that brings about godliness and paul says my identity has been given to me for this purpose to grow the people of god in their faith and in the knowledge of that truth that will bring about godliness that will bring about purity that will bring about holiness that will bring about christ formation within them that's why i am who i am and all of this in just verse one brilliant writer brilliant writer don't worry; it's not going to get really long. Verse two and three. If you've gotten verse one, the the identity, Paul's identity in ministry, and Paul's reason for ministry, or Paul's purpose in ministry. And verse 2 and 3 is Paul's foundation in ministry. He says, in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. What is the foundation of Paul's ministry? His foundation is simply this, the hope of eternal life. That hope of eternal life and he tells you two things about that as well. Two things about this hope. One, that it's not one of those kind of hopes that we have. You know, touch wood, stand on one leg, fingers crossed, all those kind of weird superstition things. No, it's not not that kind. It's not wishful thinking. "Ah, I hope, I hope it will work out. No, he says the hope of eternal life that is guaranteed because God who never lies, for whom lying is contrary to his nature, the God who never lies, the God who speaks truth, that God has promised this eternal life. So firstly, this eternal life is guaranteed. The hope of eternal life that is guaranteed to us. But then he goes on to say, and at the proper time, this God who promised this eternal life before the ages began, at the proper time, he made it known. He made it manifest. He brought it about. He showcased it. He put it on display. How? With your eyes closed, praying and saying, God, show me. Up on a mountaintop with a guitar. Or with your little iPod and headphones listening to good worship music? No. He says it very clearly. At the proper time he manifested it in his word. In his word. See Christian life, it's an emotional experience for sure. But Christian life is a solid word based experience. This eternal life, the hope of eternal life guaranteed to us that is manifested in his word through what? Through the preaching, through the Greek word is kerygma, through the kerygma which is the proclamation, the proclamation of this word with which I have been entrusted. Paul was entrusted with that ministry. So his foundation was the hope of eternal life which is a guaranteed hope and which was manifested, God came good on it, manifested in God's word through the proclamation of God's word. Paul's identity in ministry, humility and authority, servant and apostle, Paul's reason for ministry... Is the f- sake of the faith of God's people and for their knowledge of the truth that accords with godliness, that brings about godliness. Paul's foundation in ministry, the hope of eternal life, a hope that is guaranteed and a hope that is manifested through the proclamation of God's word. Wonderful. Paul seems to be an amazing guy. But how do you move from Paul to Titus? And that's where verse 4 is brilliant. To Titus, my true child. Some versions would say, my true son in a common faith. My true son in a common faith. Now that's not Paul getting sentimental and mushy at the start of the letter. It's not Paul going to emotionally blackmail Titus into doing something. Because you know, come on man, you're my son. In their context and in the time that Paul was writing this, when when you talk about son, the son had certain rights. The son was the one who carried on the legacy. The son was the one who inherited from the father. The son was the one to whom everything went through. The son was the one who carried on everything his father did. Your father was a carpenter. Pretty much in those times you would be a carpenter. You would carry on the family business. You would carry on what your father started. And so when Paul tells Titus, listen, this is me. My purpose, my identity and my, and my reason for ministry to Titus, my son. This is you, Titus. The Herculean task that lies before you. Titus, don't don't forget who you are when you do this. Don't don't forget to be humble. This is God's call. But don't get so bogged down by the elders and the intellectuals around you that you lack authority. Remember, God has called you. Hey Titus, when you go out there with this identity, remember the purpose behind it. It's so that they grow in their faith. So that they grow in their understanding of a truth that brings about godliness. Titus, when you go out and serve them. Titus, don't forget. Don't find your, your inspiration elsewhere. Your inspiration, your foundation is the hope of eternal life. A great thing, great encouragement for Titus. But then how do you move from Titus to you? 2,000 years later. See, Titus was a church leader. For the most part, none of you are. There are a few of us here who lead churches and lead ministries. But for the most part, you're not. So is this the time to switch off and say, you know, it's not for me. How do you move from Titus to you? And I submit to you that verse 1 to 3, in many ways, answers the three foundational questions that you're asking yourself and that you will ask yourself over and over again this year. The question of identity, who am I? The question of purpose, what am I doing here? The question of meaning, why am I doing what I'm doing here? And God answers the question of identity, who am I, in his calling upon your life. If you have found the answer to the question of identity, who am I, in any other person, any other place that you went to, to answer that question for you, My brother, my sister, come back to the foot of the cross today and get right with God. Paul says, in the calling of God upon your life is the answer to the question, who am I? The question of identity. Paul would say, in the purposes of God is the answer to your question, what am I doing here? The question of purpose. God's purpose is to grow his church, to to purify the bride of Christ, to bring her to cleansing, to bring her to maturity. In the purpose of God, Paul found his purpose, encouraged Titus to find his purpose. Today, God is encouraging you to say, my purpose in life. When I answer the question of purpose, what am I doing here? It will be answered based on the purposes of God. If you answer that question based on what someone else thinks you should do with your life, what other people told you you're good at, what your personal interests are, then again today, I call you back to the foot of the cross. To get right with God. To say, God, I want to find my purpose based on your purposes. And lastly, the question of meaning. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I doing what I'm doing? See, you could be doing God's work and then find meaning in God's work. I've been here on the stage since 1996. I was telling my home group, all my Christian life has pretty much been lived out on the stage. 1996, in the end of May, I gave my life to the Lord up in Deodars at a summer camp. We came back to Delhi and the first Sunday after we came back, one of the camp leaders was leading worship and he asked me to sing with him and I stood in that corner very shyly and I sang, a 16-year-old boy. And almost every Sunday since then, I've been on this stage. Every time I'm in Delhi, I'm on this stage, sometimes just fixing wires at the back. But somehow I'm up on the stage in some form or fashion. And I can tell you, guaranteed, since 1996 till today, I can tell you very often you can find meaning in doing things for God. The foundation of what you do for God can be what you do for God. It can be what people tell you about how they love what you do for God. You're so good. You're so brilliant at what you do. We love what you do. All of that can become the very meaning of your life. But Paul says when you come to the question of meaning... The answer to that, the biblical answer to that is found in the promises of God. That promise of eternity. Because this life is but a vapor, It will go away. The real life begins on the other side of that curtain. That hope of eternal life with God is what defines meaning in everything we do today. It's what breathes meaning into everything we are today. So if you have answered the question of identity somewhere else and not Jesus, today I'm calling you back to come back and say, God, I wanna find it in your calling on my life. If you answer the question of purpose anywhere else and from anyone else apart from Jesus, today I'm calling you to come back to the foot of the cross and say, God, I want to align my purpose to yours. I wanna find that answer in your purposes. And if you found meaning somewhere else or in someone else, then today I'm calling you back to the foot of the cross to say, God, for all I might have done, God, I found meaning elsewhere. Maybe in good and godly things that I've done, but not in God himself. Not in the promises of God himself. God, here I am again at the foot of the cross. How fitting, how fitting to end the sermon around the Lord's table. A symbol that there is enough mercy to forgive. If you have gotten your eyes moved away from Jesus over the last year. Maybe the whole year went really well and towards the end your eyes kind of slipped away. Or maybe the entire year was a testimony that you found purpose or identity or meaning somewhere else. Whoever and whatever you're struggling with, I want to give you that time today. In quietness, to come before God. And allow a spirit to help you answer the question. Have you found your identity somewhere else? Have you found your purpose somewhere else? Have you found your meaning somewhere else? Because if you have, today is a day of repentance. Today is a day of forgiveness. On the first Sunday of the month, at the start of this series, I invite you to come back to God and say, God, set me right. You sang at the the start, search me, O God, and know me. See my, see my thoughts, try my thoughts, see if there's any wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me free. Come before Him today, bow your head and close your eyes. And let Him speak to you. Father, there are so many good things to build our identity on. There's so many good things and attractive things to find purpose in and to find meaning in. But none of those are eternal, O oh God. And so I pray, Father, that today in your presence, if we have found our identity, If we have found our purpose if we have found our meaning in anything else anyone else anywhere else other than in Jesus and his love for us other than in heaven and its work for us other than the call of God on our life the purposes of God for our life and the promises of God for our life if we have looked elsewhere if we got distracted if we got attracted by something else father then today here in your presence we come back to you Oh God and we thank you as, as we as the table signifies and symbolizes to us father we thank you that there is enough mercy enough grace enough of forgiveness enough of love to cover all those sins of ours to bring us back to lovingly pull us back to your presence to pull us back to a place where we find ourselves in you once again so god we pray that you would lovingly woo us back to who we are in you we thank you that when when the lord jesus Came and broke that bread signifying his own body breaking for us. When he came and poured out the wine signifying how he would shed his blood for us. Father we thank you. That there was power in that cross. Power to reconcile us. Power to restate us in your image. So today Father for anyone who would come and would be bold enough to pray. And to submit to you. God I pray that you would bring us back. To who we are in you. In Jesus name I pray. Amen.